For the past number of years, uh, as part of our church family, what we do, uh, commissioning has been a big part, a growing part of our church life. So we take some time in September to commission Sunday school teachers and teachers in school life. Around this time of the year, we commission people to go out on short-term mission teams. We think it's good to do. We think it's good to, to show the rest of the congregation who are people doing these things so that you can know them and be praying for them. But also we believe it's something that has been given to us as an example in Scripture. For the three years that I've been here, this is the third time that I've been uh, leading such a commissioning service. And for me, it's always an exciting time. Because for the better part of half of my life, I've been involved in short-term mission teams over the summer. For me, it's been part of my discipleship growth, although I didn't know it and I couldn't articulate it as such. But each year, going along to a camp, uh, to an outreach team, being part of a team and then leading, has grown me in my relationship with Jesus Christ. This year, we have over or around 100 people from Kirkpatrick Memorial who will be involved in serving on teams in Ballyhackamore, in Ireland, and throughout the world. That's nothing for us to be proud of, but it is something to be an encouragement that we follow what has been the church's practice for 2,000 years, taking what we know, going and sharing it. A few years ago, I was interviewed by BBC Radio Ulster to be part of the Sunday Sequence uh, program, a nine-minute little feature about the church's summer mission in Ireland. And of course, you always want to hear what you sound like, and it made me never want to speak again whenever you hear the voice. So I apologize for what you're hearing in my tone, because whenever I listen back on a Monday morning, it's not great for me. But I listened anyway and, and went through my little bit. Um, but the whole nine minutes was a whole group of organizations. And it was approximated that 15,000 people from Northern Ireland were involved in summer work in Ireland that particular summer. 15,000 people. So whenever we think about summer work, this is not something small or something trivial. This is not something that's just good to do. This is a vital work and ministry of the church universal, as together we come together and take some time to do specific ministry work in specific areas. I have to say that the figure of 15,000 shocked me, but also encouraged me as to what God was doing throughout this island at that particular time. For the church, it's been doing summer work as we know it, camps and missions for about a hundred years. And there's many folks here who have been involved either as campers or they've gone to beach missions and schisms or they've been involved in the teams that have led. Part of our history and indeed part of our church culture is that summer and outreach camps and missions work. So it is very much part of the DNA of who we are as Christian folk in Ulster. But we didn't set the example. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5 
tells us of the account of Jesus sending out the twelve. And it says this, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. The passage continues with Jesus detailing more things about how to do this short-term mission work that his disciples were going to be doing. It was really their orientation They'd spent time with Jesus, they'd seen him at work, they knew what to do, and now he was just clarifying the terms of how this was going to work out. And so the Gospels account for them going out, but it also accounts for them coming back in and telling their story. Telling the story of what God has been doing in them and through them. And Jesus hears the stories and receives the stories. So what we recognize today as part of a commissioning for people who will go is not something we just do out of habit. It's something that Jesus set the example for doing. So Christy read first from Acts, the account of Paul and Silas in Philippi, Acts 16. But if we go back to Acts 13, we get to see the beginning of this mission trip. It actually kicks off in Acts 11, when word got back to the church in Jerusalem that there were Christians in this little place called Antioch. Through the persecution that happened under Emperor Nero, the Christians dispersed. And one of the key places they went to was this city of Antioch. And in fact, it's in Antioch that these believers, these disciples of Jesus, were first known as Christians. So it was here that this work was happening, and news got back to the church leaders in Jerusalem And they said, we want to see this. We want to check this out. So they send one of their own. They send Barnabas to them. And he stayed with this new flourishing church in Antioch for one year. And in that time, he went to Troas and got Paul or Saul, as he was known, and brought him back. And together, they worked in this church in Antioch, training and also being trained in what it meant to engage with people with the gospel. So in Acts 13, the scene is set. The church is encouraged, the church is growing spiritually, and they feel led by the Spirit of God to set aside some of their folks to go and do mission work. The Spirit confirms in them, as they pray, as they talk, and as they worship together, that Paul and Barnabas should be sent So after they're prayed for, commissioned, and hands are laid on them, they go. They went out to Cyprus, Paphos, Perga, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, then back to Lystra, Iconium, Pisidia, Perga, Italia, and finishing in Antioch again, coming back to tell their stories of what God had been doing in the known world of churches being planted and churches growing. There's not enough time for us this morning to look at Acts 13, uh, to look at what happened in that first missionary journey. So we're going to look at Acts 16, the second missionary journey. 
That first journey lasted two or so years of going out and coming back. The second journey that we're going to look at a little bit this morning took about three years or so. It doesn't start off well. If you were to start a, a few verses earlier in Acts 16, you will see that there's a bit of a fallout and a little bit of a split. Barnabas wants to bring along John Mark. John Mark had already gone his own way. He didn't agree and he, he had a fallout and he just didn't have the confidence to believe that he and Paul could do this work. And so he went his own way. Barnabas wanted to forgive him and bring him back and Paul said no. So Paul and Barnabas split their ways and Paul takes along with him Silas into Asia Minor. And so they leave Antioch and they go into that part of the world that most of us see in holiday brochures, Turkey and around that area. And we pick up the story where they're moving to Philippi in verse 12. The intention of Paul and Silas going to Philippi is to plant a church. They want to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's all that their ministry is about. And so they have a particular way of doing this. Whenever we read their accounts, they have a particular strategy. They go and they find a place where people are already worshipping God. Not a God, but rather Yahweh, the God of Israel. So mainly these are Jewish communities that they're going into. And in Philippi, like everywhere else, they expect to find one. Only they don't find one in a synagogue, in a building. Rather, they hear of a group of people who are praying and worshipping down by the river. So that's where they head. So the journey's already started out with a fallout. And now Paul's going to get another shock. Because as he goes to this riverside scene, he doesn't see any men. They are all women gathered by the river. Now, in the Jewish context, this, this is unheard of because women couldn't gather unless there was a man there, but this shows how these women truly worshipped God. So Paul goes and he teaches, and one of the women there, Lydia, says, you've inspired me. More than that, you've, you've captured my heart, and God is doing a work in me that I can't explain. I believe in Jesus Christ. They come, they pray, they worship, and they have their first convert in Philippi, Lydia. And not just any convert, but a businesswoman who has money and resources to invite Paul and Silas to stay for quite a, quite a while. And so they stay, they believe in her coming to faith. And while they're there, they get involved in the Philippian community. They go out into the marketplace. They go about doing this work of growing this brand new church plant at Philippi. And on one of their days in the market, they come across a slave girl. A slave girl who chases after them, shouting out things. And Paul gets disturbed by this, and they discover that she's possessed by a spirit. A spirit that gives her the ability to tell fortunes, and that in turn makes money for her master's. Paul is very troubled by this, and he casts out this spirit. The girl, I'm sure, is relieved, but the owners aren't, because their money is now gone. Their source of income in this little slave girl has now disappeared. So they bring Paul and Silas before the magistrates. They have them flogged and thrown in prison. Track it out already. A fallout, coming into a community where 
it's just women in Paul's perspective, but yet the high then of knowing that one of them comes to faith and others as well, possibly, and now they're flogged, put in stocks, and then thrown in prison. Not exactly what you would call the greatest of mission trips so far. And what do they do? What do they do when they get into prison? It's probably not what we would think of doing. But they pray. And they sing hymns. In the dark, damp cell, they do church. For them, no matter what the obstacle is, God at all times is there. And so they praise and they glorify his name. For Paul and Silas, this was unseen unforeseen. They didn't have any clue that they were going to end up in prison on one of their early days on the mission field. But here they are, and they're praying and singing hymns. But then there's a violent earthquake. It shakes the jail. The doors fly open. The chains break off. And we get a little bit of uh, an insight into the prison system in Philippi, because the guard now wakes up after the earthquake. And he pulls out his sword, knowing that if any prisoners have escaped, his life is on the line. So rather than being punished, he would rather take his own. But a voice cries out. It's Paul's. And he says, don't, we're here. It's okay. The jailer gets a torch. He goes cell to cell and sees that they are there. He falls on his knees, not on his sword, but on his knees before Paul and Silas and says, what must I do to be saved? Now think about this. Criminals in prison now have the opportunity to witness to a jailer. This is the power of God at work in every situation. I think whenever we read this passage and passages like it, we actually become so blasé about them that we we don't even allow them to penetrate us. Paul didn't go out looking to be put in every prison in the Roman Empire. Paul didn't go out looking to be persecuted. Whenever he's writing back to Timothy in 2 Timothy, right at the end of his life, Paul reflects and remembers with pain the persecutions and the sufferings. He didn't actively go out to be looking like a martyr. Paul went faithfully and whatever happened, happened. The good and the not so good. Paul took it all and praised God along the way. And in this instance, in a jail cell, not knowing what was going to happen next, knowing that there was uh, a price on Christians' heads, they praise God and they pray. A jailer comes to faith. Not just him, but his whole family. And so the church is built in Philippi. Don't allow the comfort of reading a passage like this time and again become less impacting on our lives. This is hardcore stuff when it comes to doing the work of Jesus. Not many of us expect to end up in prison. Not many of us expect to be persecuted. Paul whether he expected it or not, didn't go out looking for it, but rather when it came, he still knew who his God was and he worshipped him. So what 
can we learn from Acts 11 through to Acts 16 in what we've looked at this morning? The first thing to see is that we are a sent people. We are to be sent. Paul and Barnabas were commissioned, led on hands and prayed for, and they went out. The church recognized in them the qualities that it was going to take to share the gospel around the known world. So the church takes this initiative and sends them. And likewise, we are sent in this modern age, whether it be on short-term missions or whether it be on longer-term missions, we are still sent for doing short-term mission, going out for a week or two in the summer to a location in Ireland or across the world. The church generally doesn't discern that these days. That's personal discernment, but it's sustained by references and an application process. But the church still sends its people out into the world. We are each sent. Whether we're going on a camp or a mission or an overseas trip this summer, each of us sitting here today are sent. We're sent to our communities, our workplaces, our homes, and yes, on summer mission teams. We have always been sending people And today we'll continue that practice of sending some for a particular work, but never lose the sight that each of us are sent in this world to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. The second thing to note then is that we are to be bold. Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas, these mission teams stood up for the truth of the gospel in what seemed to be like places that wanted to reject them and didn't want to hear. And we've already talked about their main strategy of finding people who already worshipped God so that they could translate the meaning of the Old Testament into the New Testament of Jesus Christ. This was not a welcome world for the Christian person. Paul and Silas and Paul and Barnabas went around and they went into synagogues where people really didn't want this Jesus group. This was tough work. This was with your coat in your hand ready to run and dodge the stones that were being thrown at you. But Paul and Silas didn't run or shy away. They did what they'd been told to do, to be bold with the truth. And that's it. Because it is God who does the rest of the work in opening hearts and minds. We can never convince but it is the Spirit who does its work in lives to open them to receive the message of Jesus Christ. For those who are going out in summer missions, on your camp or on your mission team, you will come across people who have no interest in what you're going to say, and you will have people who are negative towards the message you'll bring. But don't be disheartened. Keep going. Be bold with the truth because it is God who opens the hearts and minds, and it is him who saves, and it is him who blesses. And that's the same for all of us in our communities, in our homes. We are to be bold and not shy away from what is truth, no matter what we will face in the future. We are to be bold with what we have been given. 
Thirdly, we are, op- we are to be open to what God will do. I've been involved in camps and mission teams for the past 15 years. And in that time, I've had to deal with issues of physical attack on team members, lost passports, stolen property, collapsing walls on building projects, and dog bites in rural villages. Thankfully, no prison stays were needed in anything that I've been involved in. And in those moments of things happening to individuals or to a building project with a wall collapsing during the night, there's a a sense that things aren't going well. The morale levels go down as a team feels for one of their own or as together they experience some loss on a team level. It can be one of the darkest moments in a team whenever things like this happen. But whenever we look back with hindsight, and whenever I look back at the different experiences that I've had to be involved in directly, they have been moments where God has done his greatest work in individuals and in the team life, and ultimately in the work that he is doing and his purpose for that one or two weeks. We are to be open people to allow God to do what he does best, his will. It means that we can't control situations. It means that we have to let go of our, the reins that we are holding and allow God to do what he does best. Could Paul have known what was going to happen to the Philippian jailer and his whole family? Could he, could he have anticipated that earthquake coming? I doubt if he could. But what did Paul believe? He believed that the God whom he worshipped could make the seemingly most difficult of situations become the ones of most blessings. Be joyful in all occasions. James tells us that in chapter 1 of his letter. And that is for us who serve on teams and it is for us who don't. In each situation in life we face, we are to be open to what God will do in each circumstance and to be joyful in the occasions that he brings us. Fourthly, we are to be encouraging. Let's face it, there are people in life that we would rather avoid than spend time with. And that is true for teams. For those who go and serve, there are people who we would rather say, stay there or don't come at all. But that's not how the Church of Christ works. Anyone who professes the name of Jesus Christ is called to love their brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's get on with that. Let's get on with loving each other in this way and be encouraging to one another. Encourage those who are finding things tough. Encourage those who are feeling homesick. Encourage those who don't think that they are up for the task. If you are going on a team, encourage your hosts who provide accommodation, food, the much-needed showers, transport, whatever it is. Encourage, encourage, and encourage. As Paul traveled on his missionary journeys, he encouraged his co-workers and he encouraged the churches that he went to. So be encouraging. Be sent, be bold, be open, be encouraging. Fifthly, be storytellers. Not myths, not lies, not made-up things, but come home and tell your stories of what God has been doing. This was a key part of the disciples coming back to Jesus. It was a key part of Paul reporting back to the church 
And it's a key part for you, telling us the story that God has been working in your life in the time that you've been away over the summer. One of the most common questions that I used to be asked was, what was the weather like? It's not the kind of question you want to be asked when you're away serving God. If you get that question asked to you, don't be put off, but rather tell the stories. Share your excitement and passion for what God has been doing in maturing faith and bringing people to himself. Finally, we are to be prayerful. As Paul was sent out, the church prayed. For those of us who remain, we are to be prayers. We are to be people who support summer mission work by praying. In your update, you will have received a lilac page that has a few lists of teams that are happening over the summer. It's already out of date. Uh, There will be a buff-colored one available from tonight and from next week so that you can keep up to date, but I can guarantee you that this week is fine. Well, actually, I can't guarantee because no one's told me otherwise, but hopefully this week is fine. So use this. Keep it at your breakfast table. Keep it wherever you open your Bible every day. We'll send you out a PDF copy so that you can access it on your tablet or your smartphone. Because we want to take seriously what the church exemplified in Philippi, in Antioch, in Jerusalem. They prayed for the people who were sent out. Come tonight, our last evening gathering for this church year until September. A prayer and a praise evening. Come and be part of that so that we can take some time to pray for folks who are going overseas. Come at seven uh, to be with other folks. We'll pray for other things as well, but one of the things we will be praying for are those who are going away this summer. The people who go are part of a frontline mission work, and they need our support. If there is one thing that the devil does not like, it is people telling Jesus and others coming to know him. So pray against the, ta- the attacks of the evil one. Pray for those over 100 people who will go from here to do frontline work in sharing the gospel. Pray for them. Encourage them. Tell them that you're praying for them. Write them a note, a letter, a card. Send them a text message while they're away if you know them. In a moment, you're going to get to see who they are if you don't know the names on the sheet in front of you. Be encouraging and help them along this way. So here we are, at the start of another summer. We'll once again do some commissioning of folks who are going away. Whether you're going away or whether you're staying at home, we each have our part to play in God's work in the world. That's why we started with Matthew chapter 28. We are each called to go and make disciples of every nation. If we can't go, we still play our part by praying and encouraging. If we do go, know that we are sent. Know that we are to be bold and we are to be open to God. Take this and allow it to be a blessing and encouragement for what God will do in and through each of us this summer. And picture it. 1st of September, 2013. 
a Sunday evening service of reports coming back of hearing what God has been doing. Imagine for a moment what this summer could be like when we entrust our people, when we entrust ourselves, and when we allow God to do his work in this land and this world. Imagine the stories, because if you do imagine them, there'll be fantastic stories of God continuing to transform lives. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you set us the example of what it means to go out and to declare Jesus Christ as Lord. Thank you for what we read in the Bible. Even though it's 2,000 years old, even though the cultures have changed and are different, even though the methods may be alien to us, thank you that the one thing that remains the same is that we are sent, ultimately by Jesus Christ, into this world to proclaim the gospel so that others will come to know him and will have a place in eternity with you. So be with us as we each play our part. Be with those who go and be with those who stay. Help us all uh, as, we, as we do this for you and as we desire to see your kingdom grow. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.